You are listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I am your host, Peter Horgan. On this podcast, I will be chatting with folks who care deeply about the climbing environment to discuss the advocacy work that's happening beyond the crag. My aim is to connect more climbers to the important work that these advocates are doing day in and day out. From the small local crags, to the nation's iconic landscapes, and to the offices of our nation's capital, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. Since 1991, Access Fund has been keeping the crags, boulders, and alpine environments around the country conserved and cared for. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Climbing Advocate Podcast, or welcome to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I am your host, Peter Horgan, and this is episode number 16, a conversation or conversations with Paul Garino and Hillary Harris. I'll keep the intro pretty short here as we've got about an hour's worth of content to run through between Paul and Hillary, so I'll keep things nice and brief. But uh, real quick, um, to introduce them, Paul and Hillary are both prominent figures in the indoor climbing scene. They are both founders or co-founders of their facilities. Um, First up on the episode is Paul with Ascend Pittsburgh and Youngstown, which is in Ohio, just kind of up the road, not too far away from Pittsburgh. And he's also on the board of a local climbing organization in his area, the Southwestern Pennsylvania Climbers Coalition, or the SWPACC. (laughs) <laughs> and Hillary is uh, founder of Eva Rock Gyms. She's got several locations across the country, Colorado, out on the East Coast. And she also has served and is currently serving on the Access Funds board as well. And recently, the Access Fund has wrapped up their latest indoor education campaign. It wrapped up uh, mid-month in February. And I hadn't had anyone from the indoor climbing industry on the show yet and thought this would be a perfect time to get the insiders see what I did there, insider's perspective on climbing advocacy. So we run through their motivations for starting up a gym, or now gyms, plural. Uh, we get, I get their biggest takeaways from this latest educational campaign that the Access Fund just ran, and uh, what they see is the biggest opportunities for indoor facilities to play in outdoor advocacy. It was great getting their perspective on how gyms are positioned to play a part in the larger, larger conversation around climbing advocacy and what they're really capable of moving into the future. So let's get on with it. I'm going to step aside here and let's jump into the first conversation here with Paul. Enjoy. All right, Paul. Well, let's uh, let's dive in here. I'm so grateful for your time this evening. Yeah, the first evening podcast. Uh, I, I do all of them in the morning. And I'm oh, like wow. fresh, Great. fresh off a couple, couple cups of coffee and, you know, ready to go and hit my day. But I'm in at work for like eight hours today. So, but I'm yeah. ready to go. <laughs> this will be a little, this will be a little bit more mellow. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I like, I, I do ever listen to the normal cast. Oh, big time. Yeah. I like how you can always hear like the PBR cans, like cracking in the background. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> Oh man, that's a good, I actually, I've never done that either. Maybe, yeah. Maybe somewhere down the road when I get an in-person interview. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, Paul, you're you're uh, quite the figure out east. Um, I guess it's like the southern portion of the northeast region of the country. You're uh, you're out in Pittsburgh, uh, PA, um, and you wear a couple of hats out there. You're a co-founder of Ascent Climbing Gym, uh, climbing gyms. You, got, you guys got two locations, and you're on the board of directors for the local climate organization out there. Can you jump in a little bit about your experience with uh, Ascend and when when it was founded and kind of what the idea came from to start this gym? Absolutely, yeah. So uh, it's been about nine years ago now. At this point, um, wow. my my yeah, my friend. Well, we opened in 2017, um, but my friend Alex and I, um, uh, later joined by our additional friend Aaron. Um, you know, I think a pretty typical story, passion project story. Three friends met in a climbing gym, and we were you know, had, had traveled around to other cities and, um, seen some of these more like full service gyms, more modern facilities. And we said, you know, this should be in Pittsburgh. Um, none of us being independently wealthy, none of us owning a, a you know, 30,000 square foot facility, you sure. know, we started from scratch. So we, we, um, you know, we, it started with friends and family and some local climbers as small time investors, you know, eventually got, got the whole thing together, you know, and, uh, in 2017, we were able to open the doors of Ascent Pittsburgh, which is a, a bouldering-centric facility. We do have a small top rope wall uh, at about 24 feet high, 
um, you know, and we have the kind of the whole community vibe here, yoga, fitness, uh, a lot of events and programming, vibrant youth team. Um, and like you mentioned, we just acquired um, another gym that was built just last year. Um, and uh, it, it was called Transcend Bouldering Lounge. They built it in March of 2019. Um, the owner needed to sell. And so we it's only an hour away from us. So uh, it's now Ascend Youngstown and it's going well out there. And yeah, so far so good. So <laughs> Right on. Yeah. And I, I looked up the Youngstown location. And it's actually in Ohio. It is. Yeah. Yeah. We're now an interstate uh, business, which is interesting. That's, so. Oh man. That's kind of something to be proud of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when we started, when we first came up with, you know, the idea of what a climbing gym to us meant in the city, I mean, me and Alex were going to work the front desk and Aaron was going to set all the routes and, you know, it was wow. pretty simple. And then throughout the years, you know, it gets bigger and bigger. Um, all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're hiring a yoga director and a fitness director and an events director. And we're like, well, this is, this is becoming a thing. Um, yeah, and cool, you know, man. the Pittsburgh community, um, has really, you know, came out strong. And so we hit the ground running as soon as we opened our doors and added all this programming. Um, and so expansion quickly became on our mind, you know, as, as something we need to circle back to, um, we were gonna kind of just, you know, oh, maybe we'll open up another facility soon. And, uh, so at this time, we do have the two facilities, um, but we've got a few more irons in the fire that we're pretty excited about around the, uh, you know, Southwest Pennsylvania area. So it's pretty, awesome. pretty exciting times for Ascend. Yeah, right on. Um, did, I mean, did Pittsburgh lack a gym in general? Or was it just kind of a rinky dink kind of thing before? And you're like, we need something like real or was this totally, totally from scratch for Pittsburgh? No, there was no, there's two, two good gyms in Pittsburgh, okay. um, old though. So one of them is called climb North and one of them is the climbing wall. They've been around since, man, they were some of the first. So, um, I believe 1994, um, okay. and they were the kind of the, the woody wall that was added into a gymnastics, uh, arena, uh, model, which I think is kind of the first generation of climbing gyms. Totally. Um, so we climbed at the climbing wall for, I mean, you know, eight, nine years all the time. I like lived there. It's where I learned to climb. And then I got an outdoor climbing, um, and with a couple of organizations here. So I, you know, I would say, I think Pittsburgh, I would argue as a, as a fan of a Senate that a Pittsburgh did, did need, you know, a, a more modern facility, um, and a larger facility for sure that could accommodate, you know, more people with, with different interests. Um, but there was a vibrant climbing community here. The new river gorge is three hours away. The red river gorge is six hours away. The gunks are six hours away. Seneca rocks is three hours away. So there's some like international destination areas, you know, in our backyard. Um, so, you know, I know, I know the West coast is always hailed as, you know, the Mecca of climbing, but East, East coast has a lot of good stuff too. And so we had, you know, we had a lot of people here already, you know, chomping at the bit to get into climbing. So. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. I mean, you got kind of essentially located between all, you know, those th big three that you just mentioned, the gunks, the new and the red. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Not to mention, I don't want you to skip over the incredible amount of bouldering and other climbing in Pennsylvania alone. I mean, yeah, it's, that's a it's great remarkable. segue. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I think that's the purpose of, uh, the Southwestern Pennsylvania climbers coalition, uh, SWPACC, you know, there, there were some reasons why that founded, which I can go into more detail about, but you know, all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, I mean, there Cooper's rock is in West Virginia. That's a pretty well-known area. McConnell's mill is nearby us, but there's like you said, dozens and dozens of these smaller crags, some, some well-known, some super secret, um, you know, some with illegal access, some that have been shut down, some that, you know, all those things that you get, it's, um, especially with the East coast, um, you know, access issues, private property. So, yep. Yeah. A lot of private property or some on state game land, some on, you know, county property, some on city property, some on this and that. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a lot. Um, people have been climbing these areas for decades. Um, and like, there's definitely some rope climbing, but nothing, nothing too tall. I'd say maybe max not at. 40 feet. I'm probably missing a couple of secret epic crags that I haven't been privy to, but <laughs> sure. you know, a lot of bouldering. And so in the last 10 years or so, there's just been more focus put on um, kind of redeveloping some of these areas and making, you know, making guidebooks and getting parking lots going. Um, so yeah, there's, there's more and more. And my, my colleague at SWPACC, Joel Brady, um, you know, he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to kind of the, the existing climbing areas, you know, really within an hour or less of the city of Pittsburgh, which is pretty exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's talk about your, your indoor experience here with Ascend and everything. And you mentioned a word earlier, actually just two words earlier, community vibe. That seemed to be at the forefront of your guys' mind 
creating this gym. And I caught on to that pretty quickly, browsing through your guys' website, reading through the mission statement and whatnot. You took a very holistic, wide approach, community-based mission here to, to build your, to build your gyms. Um, it was, you know, it was behind your purpose and image and branding. And your intention was to make it a place where it's more than, you know, just walking in, paying your entrance fee, going climbing and leaving. You're very much focused on cultivating a sense of community and camaraderie. And not only that, environmental stewardship is written into your mission statement, along with social justice, amongst other terms that have now become commonly associated with climbing these days. Could you uh, unpack a little bit of that for us? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess my my initial reaction to that is that, you know, some of it was intentional and some of it was just a product of our community coming out and kind of, um, you know, encouraging us to take some initiatives that we maybe hadn't thought of. So, like I said, you know, the, me, Alex, and Aaron were just three climbers at, you know, and I, I did yoga and Alex and Aaron never did, it. you know, so that was like about it. And so our, we did have a pretty focused, you know, climbing gym mentality. And as the years went on of us planning, I mean, we, we saw the industry around the nation grow and it was, you know, you got to have yoga and you got to have fitness classes. And so we, us not being experts in those areas, we, you know, we hired um, some people that could help us run those, you know, those programs. Um, and boy, I mean, I, I always use this as kind of the, a good talking point, but we, I'm sure you've heard of acro yoga. Um, oh, yeah. We start, yeah, we started an acro yoga program. Um, and just because one of our members was like, I can do acro yoga. And so we hired her, started this program. Um, and now, I mean, I, I say there's like 30 or 40 people that, that do acro yoga two classes a week, they jam, acro jam, you know, th three other days. <laughs> and I don't, I, I'd say maybe a few of them climb ever, you know? And so wow. we have this little space in the corner that we, you know, we put down some more mats and it's become like their home. And so I see I'm climbing and I, with my friends and I see this, these acro, you know, this acro community grow. And I just think, man, I never, ever could have guessed this would be something that I'd be a part of or, or let alone be at the front of. Um, sure. So that's just one little anecdote, but really that kind of happened over and over again. A lot of our clubs, um, I mean, I think, I think at the end of the day, Alex and Aaron and I are very open to collaboration. We've always said from the outset, like none of us are experts at anything. We, we we're all pretty young as far as, you know, business owners go. Um, mm -hmm. you know, none of us, Aaron is a route setter by trade. Alex worked at the front desk at a gym previously. You know, I was a bar manager for 10 years. That's about <laughs> it. So we kind of knew our limitations were pretty, pretty, you know, stacked against us. So, you know, I think by having this kind of open, you know, leadership perspective, we've been able to incorporate a lot of ideas. Um, there's definitely come with some growing pains. Absolutely. You know, running, I think we've grown a little too fast some ways and we're like, oh my God, so many programs and how do we keep up with it? But at right. the end of the day, when you look at the numbers and you look at, you know, how busy our gym is in such a short amount of time and what I know about the industry, I think it's had a really profound impact on our, our kind of early success. Um, it's got a lot of people in the door that they were interested in climbing, but they're here for other reasons, you know? And I think that's really powerful. So the gyms that we're keen on, you know, building in the future, um, not a hundred percent, but I think we're, we're not ever going to shy away from, um, putting an emphasis on the, the programming in the community. And I think the community comes with the programming. You, you establish a club, you start a youth team, you, you know, hold a certain event, all of a sudden you get such a diverse group of people in here and it just starts churning and it happens on its own. So. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could totally empathize with that. Yeah. Growing, growing fast, growing quickly. You're trying to take on, yeah, a lot of different programs at one time. Um, the environmental, the environmental stewardship part, are you, are you guys connected or, you know, partnered up with the local climbing organization there? Yeah. So, well, the regarding, so Ascend and SWPCC are not connected, but we're, we're very close. Sure, um, sure. And I can go into that a little bit, but but it, just regarding environmental stewardship, maybe on a more broad level, we you know we're, we're also kind of committed to like sustainability and environmentalism at, at large, and we've just kind of dipped our toes into that in this past year. So we've just mm -hmm. kind of started working some of those 
what can we do in our door in our four walls um, initiatives, uh, both in terms of like energy usage and just habits, customer habits, employee habits, things like that. Um, sure. But yeah, I mean, uh, more specific to kind of the the climbing outdoor area stewardship, we're we're increasingly involved. I think to say that we um, finally have a little bit of time and capacity. I think. Um, to start focusing a little bit more on that. And um, yeah, I mean, SWPACC is um, closely aligned with our mission. And so we, we always support them whenever possible. It's, um, we, we, can, we can touch on this for sure. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fully involved in both organizations, but I do try right, and keep right. like a separation. And we're actually making some pretty um, awesome changes in the next few months to further kind of further separate and have SWPACC stand a bit more on its own and, and be a bit more inclusive and, and a bit more, um, uh, yeah, just like uh, spread itself around the city a bit more um, and get some more exposure in that regard. But yeah, mm-hmm. SEND fully supports those missions. Um, I think fundraising for us is, is really is something we're comfortable with. Um, I think one of the areas that we um, need some work on is kind of how to message um, why access is a thing. What, what what is it even that you know? Realizing that there's so many new climbers every every day, every week, um, it's like you sometimes you forget that you have to keep telling the same story over and over again because you're like, well, everyone already knows it, you know. Um, but yeah, that's just not right. true. I, I, we, I we've right. had that epiphany with like some of our intro classes. We're like, oh man, like. Like, okay, we've done enough intro to bouldering classes. Like we've saturated the market, but then it's like, no wait. like college kids keep moving <laughs> to Pittsburgh. They keep coming, you know, it's, it's never going to stop. So we might think that, you know, we're bored of something, but that doesn't mean that a whole other group of new people are, you know? Right, right. Well, that's a, that's a great segue. Um, you guys are a member, Jim, of the Access Fund and you all just participated in their recent initiative to raise awareness about issues facing our outdoor climbing areas. And as we said at the beginning, there's so much outdoor climbing in Pennsylvania and right around you. Um, During a previous conversation that you and I had, you mentioned that one of the biggest takeaways from this event was messaging. And how do you make these topics relevant or relatable to new climbers or folks that might just spend most of the time indoors? Like, why should they care? Yeah, that's a great question, and I, 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 I can, I can speak to it, but I tell you what, I don't have like a great answer. You know, I think it's really, I think <laughs> it's, not it's very tough. cut and dry for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. And but you know, I think, I think in short, my my hope is that it's consistent messaging is maybe the the best word for it. Um, and so you know, it's like, it's there's so many things for a gym. Um, especially, you know, a gym, like I mentioned that, that, that we have, which is just so, there's so many events and programs happening all the time. Um, and I'm the marketing director here as well. Um, and it's taken a while to figure out how to get, how to get messages out to the right people at the right time. Um, and, and, you know, we've definitely faltered. We've not always nailed it. Um, but you know, we've learned a few things over the years and I think it's, for me, it's really focusing, um, on the, con- the consistent, um, using the right channel for the right message um, when possible and, and really just kind of sticking to uh, like a regular schedule. So I'm trying to build in those mechanisms. So when we have a new campaign or a new program or a new event, you know, whether it's uh, stewardship related or not, that it, that it, people know where to look for it. We're, this sounds really simple, but we're building a new website soon that I'm really excited about. And I do, I do think that that's going to allow us to kind of better, segregate information in a way so when people go visit the website they're going to be able to better find you know what they're looking for and and there is definitely going to be a page or uh some sort of um outlet for um you know uh, sustainability and, and stewardship and how you can get involved um we're also exploring ways to tie it into your membership somehow whether it's um we do offer a discount if you're an access fund member that was nice. kind of just something easy to do right we've done that all the time so that's so I guess it's like kind of hitting it uh, in as many areas as possible. But um, I think what I learned recently with this most recent campaign with the Access Fund was, you know, it it um, there's so many different users in the gym. And so, you know, when we make a social media post about access or about fundraising, um, there's it, it's kind of hard to unpack, but there's just so many people that read that in different ways. And I think um, taking the time to to break that out in the right way um, you know, and, and just acknowledging that there's going to be some people that don't understand it or that, that choose to take it like a different way. So 
it's I think that consistent messaging and coming back to it over and over again, um, you know, is going to be the key to success eventually. Yeah, c- consistency, right? And like you said, people might interpret things different ways. Um, I mean, it's going to be hard to like vet that, you know, through a website or something. Um, do you guys host uh, just clinics of some sort um, from time to time at the gym to talk about these kind of things? Yeah, well, I mean, we so we started an outdoor guiding program last year, and that's okay. definitely one of the conduits that we're hopeful, you know, to be able to physically take people outside. And part of our programming, you know, our our outdoor guiding uh, director is, you know, not only does he want to teach people how to climb on rocks safely, he also, you know, talks about pack it in, pack it out. Like it has a whole spiel and kind of ties it into the day of like, you know, how to act at the crag um, and, and how this crag might be different from this other crag. Um, the other day I was talking to someone, a, a journalist, and he goes, what is a crag? And I said, this is, so I was like, you know, and I was like, and he kind of knew a little bit about climbing even. And I was like, yeah, this, yeah, this is true. Like even just the lingo that we use can be a little off-putting sometimes or a little confusing to people. Um, and I think another thing, just to, to ramble on a little bit more, um, I don't want to scare people. You know, I think sometimes you say like access and everything's in danger. Um, I know some gyms go, you know, really full bore on like climbing is dangerous and, you know, it is, and it's definitely something that I think we all need to get out in front of as a, as a, as a message. Um, but I think sometimes it can maybe have a negative effect where it, it, it doesn't necessarily scare people away, but they're just kind of, they hear it enough times and they're just like, well, you're just saying that, like, that doesn't really mean much to me. So I think what you said, like having clinics and having, um, tabling, but done like really, you know, with, with a, a really clear path of why someone might visit that table, you know, really engage um, those people. I, I, I think um, I try and find a balance of getting like a big message out that just says like a splash, you know, this is, this is what we're talking about. But then at the, you know, at the table where SWPACC is, they're going to have, you know, two, three, maybe four, like really meaningful conversations in an evening. And that doesn't seem like a lot, but I think those people then, you know, it's that, that, the, oh, yeah, it's like yeah, they're going to get out there and talk. A ripple effect, right? right. Yeah. 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 So, and then when they talk to someone that's like, oh yeah, you know, I saw that Instagram post about that thing. Like, I didn't really know, I didn't really get it, but like now I really get it. So it's just, you know, I think it's kind of standard advertising and marketing technique. You just get it, you get them, the, the, the simple message in people's heads and they might not fully understand it or care about it, but then eventually maybe their first time outside or when they have that friend that says that one thing, they're going to say, Oh, now I get it. Now I understand mm-hmm. what that organization is. So, right. Right. I read this book in college, uh, called the last child in the woods. I don't know if you've heard of that Richard Louvre. No. Um, but he talks about that. He's like, when you're talking to like really young kids about, I don't know, environmentalism, you don't start off with saying the rainforest is, is being destroyed. The, you know, the whales are being, you know, killed and and you you don't start off with those super detrimental things right from the get go. You want to invoke some curiosity first. And that's just kind of reminding you what you just said. You don't start out with climbing is dangerous, you know, better watch your, watch your ass where you go. Otherwise things will get closed down, you know, be respectful. But I think just invoking that curiosity to begin with and let them run with it from there could be a good approach. I'm going to take, I'm going to borrow that. That's amazing. I, I think that's really <laughs> powerful, um, both in terms of, you know, how to, how to sell climbing to new guests, but also how to talk about these other more serious issues. Um, I had a, a friend of mine say, you know, sometimes it just feels like we can't have an event, um, like a climbing event um, that, that, you know, where there isn't like a shakedown first. And they were saying like mm-hmm. that every event is tied to a fundraiser for, you know, SWPAC or for, you know, totally. different access fund or AAC. And, um, you know, I don't think they meant it like negatively, but it kind of made me think like, yeah, you're right. Like there are different types of events. There's different, different ways and fundraising isn't the end all be all. Um, and I'll admit, you know, that's been a crutch of mine because it's, it's kind of easy in a way to throw, to host real rock for free and do a raffle and get like a bunch of money. And you see, you see that success and it's like one night and you're like, Oh, I got like, it's like, that was really successful. Use that word. Like the campaign worked. Um, right. But did it, did it fully work? And, and, and maybe, maybe that shouldn't be the the tried and true method or, or you definitely have to change it up and, and get people thinking about it in a different way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's, I think one of the things we've learned recently too is 
just simply by putting the message out and talking at people um, isn't as effective as we'd like it to be. And in fact, it turns some, I mean, I think, I think that does, that's gotta be a part of it. Like people just need to hear it. Um, but one thing that we're trying to do with um, SWPACC is, is be much more inclusive and kind of open up the leadership role and, and like the volunteerism, because I think really people want to get involved. Um, and without us even realizing it, you know, we had put up these barriers and, you know, it was just like, oh yeah, like everyone can help out, but it's like, how do they help out? And like, where do they show up and when, you know what I mean? And it just kind of became mm -hmm. like, oh, just a group of friends that do things. And it was really unintentional, but I think it's really set my sights kind of on the future of, um, you know, breaking down some of those, you know, unintentional barriers and, and really just making the community um, do, do what I said earlier in the, you know, in our talk, you know, with what, what our gym has done. It's just like, it's kind of doing its own thing. You know, we provide a little bit of framework for it and then people just make it happen. And I'm really excited to see that happen in Pennsylvania, um, you know, with our LCO and with kind of our stewardship methods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Getting, getting those, uh, breaking down those barriers, get people involved make them feel like welcome and they are, they're important is can be a, a challenging thing. And I think you're not, you're not the only one there. Everyone's trying to tackle that. Right. And yeah, at the local and, and a bigger national level. Um, how much did you guys uh, raise and, and like how many memberships did you guys get out of this last event, this last access fund event? Yeah. So, um, you know, in the, we did, we basically did three events um, at both of our gyms uh, and two of them were as part with a film, like the, a real rock film showing. Um, one of them was at Youngstown and two of them were here. Um, and the one in Youngstown, um, benefited access fund and the Ohio climbers coalition, which is their local LCO. Uh, and the one in Pittsburgh here where I reside, um, benefited SWPACC and access fund. So in total, my rough count is close to 30 new access fund joint memberships were gained. Um, Sweet. I think a little bit more, honestly, that kind of trickled in. Um, like throughout the month, but at those events, it was like 28 at each, you know, at the, at the events total. And then um, we raised over $6,700 um, and we split that evenly between the LCO and access fund. So actually just yesterday wrote a check for circa three grand to access fund. And then the rest of the money stayed in the local or climbing organizations. Nice. Right on. Yeah. It was definitely the most we've raised uh, for, you know both i mean and i get most like when we do an event we might make 200 bucks but we get like four memberships because to me that's the most that's the most important thing because then you're i always say you're in the access funds queue like you're going to get that renew your membership email you know you're gonna you're gonna get the messaging um so the, the money is great that helps us you know take on some initiatives um but we believe in the access funds like infrastructure and kind of what they can offer. So the more we can get people being members and supporting them, you know, I think that's almost a bigger win. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I work for a nonprofit. I mean, you're, you're familiar with nonprofit uh, operations. Like, you know, we run on fundraising. Yeah. <laughs> we need, we need to raise funds for this. So I can see how it could be a drag, you know, someone walking in like, Oh, great. They want to get in my wallet again. Yeah. Like, it's just kind of the nature of the beast, you know, unfortunately, but it's just, yeah, the way it is. It is. Yeah. I'm hopeful that with our kind of opening up our board a bit more that, you know, that we've had some people say, you know, I'm good at grant writing and I think there's a lot of money out there. And I think I'm excited because that's just not my strong suit. My strong suit is, you know, grabbing a microphone and social media and kind of just making it happen, you know, in the moment, yeah, like yeah. let's, let's get it going. Um, but I think there's <laughs> other people out there that can do it with a bit more tact and, and do it on a bit more of a sustainable level. Um, sure. Partnering with gyms, you know, just like you guys do with gyms like Ascend, I think SWPACC would like to do with local businesses in Pennsylvania or in Pittsburgh that maybe aren't even climbing related at all, you know, maybe outdoor related, but, um, or just kind of like, you know, passion project related. But I think there's definitely an avenue there that we'd like to explore, um, you know, in Pittsburgh more locally too. So. Mm -hmm. Cool. Right on. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'd kind of wrap it up here. Um, it's, it's no mystery that, the indoor, these monster indoor facilities, I mean, it's monster or not, just indoor climbing facilities in general are making big waves in the pool. And especially with the Olympics happening this year, I suspect they'll get even more busy, more crowded, more climbers, so on and so forth. What do you see as uh, the role of indoor facilities playing in this conservation stewardship 
you know, et cetera, discussion moving forward. Yeah, I think I I am on. I've I've heard people are not in this camp, which surprises me. But I've heard I, I'm I'm fully in the camp that gyms have not only the moral obligation, but also like a massive business case to be directly involved in this effort. Um, I think the moral obligation is pretty obvious. Like we, it would be, I think it would be ignorant of me to say that I have nothing to do with um, the local crags being crowded now. I think we have Mm -hmm. maybe not everything to do, but a lot to do with it. You know, we're providing an outlet for people to do this thing. Um, And I think, in the last couple decades, it used to be, you know, you learn how to climb outside and you come inside to train. I mean, that's, that's gone. I mean, for the most part, I'm sure there are people that do that, but people right. come to the gym. That is, that's what they do. And then, then they're like, Oh, I want to go outside. And we've seen that right. time and time and again, and that mentorship is something we'd like to bring back into the mix. Um, if we can, it's like, it's always surprised me how willing people are uh, to pay for something these days. They're like, I, I want to learn to climb outside. Like, here's my money show me. And I'm like, whoa, you're willing to pay for that? Like, I just had to like meet some people and like do it over the course of a couple of years. So totally. I think, you know, we, we want to leverage that obviously and provide those like kind of professional services, but I'd love to get um, back to kind of the roots of climbing um, and provide kind of this organic, you know, mentorship structure. Um, the business case though, for me, you know, so in, in, in Pittsburgh, I'm, also kind of a part of a new project, which is, is ultimately, I believe, ultimately going to be a part of SWPACC. It's not formalized yet, but we're, start, we're, we're trying to bolt um, existing structures around the city that have been climbed on for decades, like beer, uh, sorry, uh, bridge piers, uh, different, different kind of like um, unused structures. Some cities have done this all around the country. Um, so this is not like we're not inventing this, but we're trying to do it on a pretty large scale. Um, we're, we're calling it climb Pittsburgh for right now. Um, you know, we've had some talks with the city, but I bring this up because I think we, I'm really excited about it. Not only as a climber, like how cool would that be just to like go alongside of the river and climb like a 50 foot bridge pier, um, like on a Saturday, right? It's like, cool. Um, but I also think it's this, I, again, I would be ignorant to think that if there, I think it goes both ways. If there, if there are more people climbing outside, um, they are going to be, they're going to continue to climb inside. So for me, the growth of the sport is this double-edged sword where we do need to provide, you know, awareness and work with access fund and local, you know, local uh, landowners and all these uh, constituents to provide that outlet. But um, obviously kind of as a putting my business owner hat on, like the more the merrier. And so, yeah, let's just keep this churning. Let's, but let's do it responsibly. So I think that we are, I think gyms are in the middle of it, you know, and if they're not really talking about it, then I don't think that they're fully aware of what's happening around them. Um, so that's, yeah, that's my hot take on it. I, I, I think it's, it's, and it's also something I, I am passionate about, you know, being a climber myself, it's kind of easy to me. It's easy for me to talk about this. It's, I've been talking about it for, you know, 13, 14 years now, however long I've been climbing. So, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. No. Well, very elegant. Yeah. Very eloquently said. Um, I can tell that. Yeah. You're, you're the marketing guy. You're the MC. Like you, yeah. You're a great podcast interviewee, you know, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you speak very passionately about it. It's very obvious. And, um, yeah, you, I liked what you said a little bit ago about the, uh, old school mentorship. That's kind of how I learned as well. Just kind of went out and got my bumps and bruises and, and trial, you know, trial and error mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, I heard, I've heard it said before that, you know, with the advent of all these gyms, these really young kids getting in there, so on and so forth, they're, they, you know, they're coming out with 513 strength, but 5'7 outdoor knowledge. Yeah. And there's a big gap that's got to be bridged there. And yeah, from a moral responsibility, <laughs> just like you said, to, to bridge that gap. And I think it's, uh, I think you guys are doing a great job and it's going to keep on happening. Yeah. Thanks so much. It's uh, yeah. def- definitely something to, that, that, like I said, we're passionate about and we, we try and try and tune in every day. And, and now that Ascend is maturing ever so slightly, I'm, I'm trying to afford myself more time to focus on what I would, what I think is like kind of the bigger picture stuff, which is, is conversations like this, brainstorming some, some big ideas, staying in tune with the national trends and, and, and really trying to stay on top of that. So I'm, I'm really motivated to keep this going. 
Okay, well, thanks, Paul, for all of your wonderful insight and everything that you got going on out in uh, Pittsburgh. Before we move into Hillary's conversation during this quick break, I want to remind everyone about the Southwest Regional Summit coming up here in uh, about a month and a half or so. It's going to take place uh, the weekend of April 18th and 19th. And from right now up until March 18th, so about two and a half more weeks, tickets are $25 for the weekend. And then after March 18th, they will jump to $35 for the weekend. So 10 extra bucks if you're ordering after March 18th and leading up to the event, it'll be 35 bucks. So if you reside in the Southwest region of the country, this event is for you. So be sure not to miss it. All right, let's move on, move right along into uh, Hillary's conversation. Again, Hillary is the founder of Evo Rock Gyms and also Access Fund board member. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Hillary Harris. Enjoy. All right, let's do it. All right, well, Hillary, I'm super excited to have you on for part two of this episode. Um, a, a mutual friend of ours at the Access Fund recommended having you on the show, and she shared the the Outside Magazine article that you were highlighted in back in from December. And I was like, uh, "Yeah, we've got to get her on the show." So, <laughs> thank you so much for starting your week off here with me on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you've been in the climbing world for quite some time, and you made you made quite a statement for yourself dating back to the mid to late 90s with some very impressive ascents of some very hard boulder problems and sport routes, and now your more recent ascent of the nose in a day. And um, so congratulations on all that. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as far as I can tell, your passion for pushing yourself has not really wavered at all over after all these years. But uh, personal accomplishments aside, your efforts to contribute to the larger climbing community cannot be overlooked at all. And much like Paul, the, the first guest here on this episode, you're a multifaceted figure in the climbing community as the founder of the Evo Rock Gyms, and you're also a board member of the Access Fund. Um, how long have you been a board member of the Access Fund? Um, I'm in my second term now, so this is my fourth year. Fourth year. Yeah. And how long How long are the terms? They're three years. Three years. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Right on. Um well, yeah, let's dive in. Why don't you give us uh, the background or the story on the uh, inception of the Evo Rock Gyms, the who, what, when, where, and how, and why and how? Sure. So, um, well, as you mentioned, I was a, a serious climber. I was a professional sponsored athlete in the, uh, in the early 90s, and I spent about a year and a half living in Europe and training with the German team and, and competing over there. And um, and when I came back, I, I continued to compete and do uh, a number of first female ascents. And then, you know, I got to an age, I was like, I don't know, in my late twenties, early thirties, where I had to kind of make a decision. Did I want to continue to pursue that path as a professional athlete or work in the industry, or did I want to do something else? So um, I, I made the decision um, to go into a, a different industry altogether. And a part of why I did that was because I was, I, I was conflicted inside and um, felt like the, the climbing industry was growing and I didn't really want to be a part of that because I wanted, you know, our precious crags to be protected. And uh, <laughs> I was being kind of an idealist. So I went into architecture instead, okay. focused on sustainable um, uh, and sustainable and green design. And I practiced for about 10 years um, and was laid off in the recession in 2008. Mm -hmm. And so that really forced me to look at my career again. And I had missed being involved in climbing in the industry so much that uh, I immediately, first I went on a climbing trip to the Red River Gorge, <laughs> which was amazing. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I took uh, a job at Metro Rock in Boston um, coaching. And I was doing that along with consulting and piecemealing stuff together. But that coaching job really opened my eyes as to how the industry was changing and how rapidly it was changing. And 
what I what really struck me was that there was this new generation of climbers that was being introduced to climbing and they were being introduced to it through the climbing gyms. And that was the full breadth of their experience was, you know, doing the pink route or the yellow route. And, <laughs> um, and yet there was just so much more to climbing. Uh, and I felt like there needed to be a way to bring that story back into the indoor climbing world. And so uh, that was that was how the the concept of Eva was born. Um, New Hampshire. I was living in New Hampshire at the time. They mm -hmm. really were in need of a state of the art uh, climbing gym there, being kind of the central hub of climbing in New England with Rumney and and North Conway. Right. And so I used my architectural skill set to start um, the first gym there and. The, the concept of Evo Rocket Fitness was born by the concept behind it was that we wanted to build upon, strengthen, and evolve with climbers in the climbing community. So I wanted to bring that story back into the indoor climbing experience and have people feel like they were a part of that story. Sure. So hence the name Evo or Evolve, right? Yeah, well, it was originally evolution, but then evolution. Excuse me. Shortened it to Evo. Yeah. Okay. Cool. What? When? What? Were you, what? Uh, what year was this? Um, I started working on it in 2009, and we opened the first gym in 2012. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, a few years to put it all together. Yeah. Um, were you still like climbing during your architecture bout for the for that decade? I was, but it was really challenging because I lived in a pretty remote area in Southwest New Hampshire. So mm -hmm. um, I had to drive, you know, upwards of an hour and a half to get to a climbing gym. And sure. it was, it was a struggle to stay in shape during those <laughs> Right on. Well, yeah. I guess maybe I can amend what I said earlier a little bit by maybe, yeah, maybe your passion for the sport didn't waver. It was just, you know, became a little less accessible during that time. Right. Yeah. Um, well, awesome. Cool. Well, thanks for that backstory. How do you uh, see your dynamic between your now, um, your little about, you know, 10 years into your conception of, uh, of Evo, how does that uh, dynamic between being a founder of a, of a, you know, chain of gyms now and your um, time as a board member with the access fund, how does that dynamic complement each other? Um, well, that's a good question. I, I was asked to be on the board a number of years ago because um, they were looking to diversify and wanted somebody connected to the indoor climbing industry. It was, sure. um, it, it was becoming very apparent that the indoor climbing industry was where the major amounts of growth were happening and the access fund didn't really have um, that connection. And so the synergy between the two has been, um, pretty evident in that, uh, you know, the, the majority of people who are being introduced to climbing now are coming through the gyms. Um, and being a board member has really been able, I've been able to, um, make that connection to, to the gyms. And that's what this campaign or sorry challenge has been all about um and i know we're going to get into that later so yep. we can talk about that yeah 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 so you just mentioned like this newest uh indoor educational campaign mm -hmm. and from a previous conversation you and i had correct me if i'm wrong um but if i remember correctly evo used to do like an indoor educational campaign called evo AF. It's, it's, it's 2020. Most yeah. folks probably know what AF is. It's right. not access fund, but something else. <laughs> yeah. It's um, kind of tongue in cheek, but we, yeah, we did totally. that on purpose. Yeah, totally. What, what was that all about? How did that all get started? Um, so that the concept originated in a creative meeting when we were discussing themes to focus our marketing on um, in the upcoming fall. And with people venturing into the outdoors in the fall months, the, the, the concept was born that we wanted to focus on making that transition from the indoors to the outdoors and all that encompassed it. Mm -hmm. And so 
focusing on the access fund for a month seemed like the best avenue for doing that. And we spearheaded the campaign from that. It was, um, it was also really beneficial that I was on the board and that the access fund is located in Boulder, which is a stone's throw away from about to say right down the street. Louisville. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was a great way to, to, uh, pilot something like that. Yeah. Um, does, has it differed at all? I'm just from like a few years back or a handful of years back, there was like a Jim to Craig program and like the rock project. Yeah. Did it differ at all from that or is it kind of along the same lines? No, it did differ quite a bit from that. Um, okay. The Rock Project was more of a Jim DeCraig educational project that uh, was being driven by the Access Fund. This project, the Evo AF project, was being driven by the gym itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was more of an awareness campaign and um, with the concept that we were trying to mobilize the, the indoor climbing community around the causes that the Access Fund focus on. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, it did differ quite a bit and okay. it, you know, different, the difference being major, mostly education versus awareness. Right. Sure. Yeah. Um, were you hosting like uh, face-to-face workshops or clinics or presentations? How did, mm-hmm. how was this messaging getting conveyed like at the, at the, your facility? So, yeah, we, we did a number of things. It was kind of a shotgun approach and mm-hmm. um, something that was born in this Evo AF concept was the access fund fireside chat, which we've done quite a few of those since then. I, I want to say that it's been more than 20. I, I, Oh, wow. Um, but the fireside chat, the idea is that we bring in experts from the access fund and we literally have a computer with a fake fire on it because you want to create <laughs> that awesome of a fire yeah. <laughs> <laughs> around a campfire, like where you're trying to recreate that experience. And you know, and talking about what the issues are, both locally and nationally. So in uh, 2017, we had um, the executive director Brady Robinson at the time and our policy director Eric Murdoch came and yep. spoke about policy issues. The the Bears Ears National Monument being one of the the bigger issues at the time. Oh, yeah. and so that that drew a lot of interest. Uh, you know, and it was in an intimate setting and that seemed to be really successful. Mm-hmm. We we also did Jim to Craig clinics, um, but at Eve, the Eva Lewisville location, those clinics um I'm trying to remember. I think we've done a mixture over the years of we have a a part of Evo Lou. We have a division called Evo Mountain Guides with um, a lot of AMGA certified guides. So they oh, okay. do those clinics. I I also believe that maybe one year the Access Fund did it. I if I recall correctly. So um, that was part of it. I'm trying to think. We we've also done just regular clinics with professional athletes. Mm-hmm. where they just come in and teach people about climbing and they pitch the access fund and all of the money from that clinic is donated to the access fund. Awesome. Um, and then, you know, we pepper the gym with posters, the climbers packed. And right. the idea is just to, like I said, it's the shotgun approach, you know, get that information out, push it out through social media channels and within the gym for, for an entire month. So people, you know, can't really walk into the gym without knowing what the access fund does and who we are. Right. Right. Did you see Evo getting involved in this conservation uh, discussion? I mean, early on, like you've been, you've seen so many changes in the industry over the years. Did you ever like foresee this coming? Yeah, I did. I, I think it, it really, fundamentally ties into the whole mission of what Evo is about, because I don't think that you can build upon an existing climbing community without tying conservation into it. Sure. The the things are inextricably linked really. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I mentioned it with Paul, like, you know, with the Olympics coming up this year, Yo. we're only going to see more and more people be like, wow, that looks pretty fun. I want to go try that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, instilling that right from the get go is going to be yeah, just absolutely just very important. Um, yeah, for sure. Back to the indoor educational campaign that just wrapped up this month. Mm-hmm. Um, what did Evo do to be a part of that campaign? Did you guys uh, yeah, host a big event or yeah, what did you guys have going on? Well, this year it was a little bit different. In the past, the Evo AF events, um, we, you know, we had all of these various things peppered throughout the month. And then we ended with a big membership party. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, the, the management and the staff wanted to try something new. And so they hosted um, – a hashtag love your crags competition and they invited pros to come there was a five thousand dollar purse and wow. you know the root setting team was really stoked to put together some awesome boulder problems and it was also a, a citizens comp so there were a couple of waves during the day and then they had finals at night with the pros oh cool right on yeah um and there was a raffle um, and they did also like, you know, do the typical like, um, you know, clinics and various things throughout the month. But the main difference was that they had a, uh, a competition instead of a membership party. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Is this, uh, is this campaign something that's going to be like annual now? Uh, this was, I think, yeah, the first, first year of it. Um, is it going to be continuing for subsequent years? Yes, that's that is the intention. Hope, um, yeah. it, this year has been a gigantic learning experience. I think for both the Access Fund and the gyms that participated, we had upwards of twenty gyms around the country uh, participating in this right. this year. And the the challenges are obviously the biggest one is scalability. You know how how can we scale this campaign so that the gyms take ownership of it and the access funds can take more of a back seat because there's obviously no way that we can, uh, you know, clone our policy director to come around and have fireside chats at a hundred <laughs> gyms across the United States, right. you know? So, um, that's, that's the big challenge that we're working through and we're really eager to get the feedback from the gyms and the results so that hopefully next year it'll be more, more successful, but yes, we, we are planning on continuing to do this in the future. Cool. One of the big takeaways that Paul had from his experience with the campaign and everything was, was messaging and having consistent messaging to folks who um, mm-hmm. might not know what the access fund is or mm-hmm. why they should care if they're an, in, you know, if they're primarily an indoor climber, why they should care about outdoor access issues and conservation stewardship, you know, so on and so forth. Can you shed any light on uh, maybe that same question? Um, why should these folks care? What why does it what does it mean to them? Um, yeah, well, first of all, I I think that our perception of indoor climbers and whether they care about outdoor climbing um, has has changed in recent months um, to be very contrary to what we had thought. Uh, the the Climbing Wall Association um, recently did an indoor climber survey, and the results just came out. Those are going to be presented at their conference this year. Um, but what was very striking about those results was that in the past, we've thought that the interest in outdoor climbing from indoor climbers was small, it was like 10 to 20 percent. Right, right. But what these results were saying is that 95% of the people who climb indoors either do climb outdoors or are interested in climbing outdoors. And a lot of these people have not ventured in the outdoors yet because they don't really have the access or uh, the, the opportunity to go out. But if they did, they would want to. Right. Um, that's a drastically different picture than we had thought was going oh, on. Yeah. And what's... Um, What's even more striking is that 50% uh, of the climbers who responded to the survey have been climbing for less than two years. And so we're seeing this massive amount of growth 
happening in the industry, coupled with this interest in wanting to go climbing outdoors. Um, and so, you know, there there is going to be a lot more pressure on our crags. And so the need to be educating people and um, teaching them about, you know, low impact habits and just instilling this whole concept of stewardship and supporting the access fund is, is very, very important. Yeah, it's huge. And kind of, yeah, kind of answered my next question is like, how do you see outdoor facilities playing their part in this discussion? Just moving forward. Indoor indoor facilities. Indoor, did I say outdoor facilities? (laughs) Thank you. Good catch. Indoor facilities. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I, we did a presentation at the CWA last year and we, and we made kind of a joke about it that, okay, well, the industry is growing. We're all benefiting from it. You know, we all have great jobs and, um, and we're making money, which is awesome. And, mm-hmm. but we played this thing called the, the blame game where we're like, well, we can, you know, we can blame the gear manufacturers. We can blame the athletes. We can blame uh, the retailers. We can, you know, blame the guides. We, and, but of course, everybody wants to blame the gyms. And at the end, we joked and we said, well, yeah, it's all Alex Honnold's fault. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but yep. the point being that, you know, playing the, the blame game is not an effective way for us to be solving this challenge in front of us. And what I believe is that the gyms have more power to make change and connect with people face to face on the ground. Um, than anybody else in the industry, because the gyms have really become the community hubs of climbing. Um, and so that is the interface where we can touch the most people on the ground. Right. It's funny you mentioned the the Honnold comment. I've heard that exact <laughs> thing at my crag from like, you know, somebody who's been climbing for like 30, 40 years. And he's like, yep, thanks, Honnold. I'm like, all right, let's just pump the brakes here and just have a conversation about this. Yeah, like, let's figure out how we're going to solve the problem. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just don't just, don't just point fingers. Like, and, and you know, Honnold is doing a lot of really great work. So, oh my gosh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, when I think of like environmental advocates and stewards, you know, I think yeah, of like him and like, yeah, Tommy Caldwell. I mean, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. so Chris Schulte, a bunch of different people, yeah. I and mean, they're all playing their part. And I would love to be able to ask them sometime, like what's the role of the athlete these days in this new kind of environment of climbing? Well, I think the role <laughs> of the athlete is huge actually, because they're, yeah. they're the big influencers. Exactly. Yeah. People. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Model after them, uh, get inspired, motivated by them. I mean, just, yeah, the role is, is undeniable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah. Is there any uh, last thoughts or comments you wanted to leave with any, anyone who might listen to this down the road or any, any new climber? Well, I just, uh, you know, I think climbing is the best sport in the world. Um, It it really is. It's, it's a wonderful teacher. It's a, it's a great way to get um, people to, to realize that they're so much more capable of doing things than they ever thought, you know, to, challenge their limitations mm-hmm. and it builds community um, and trust amongst people. I, I just, I, it excites me that more and more people are coming into the sport. And so what I would say to those people is that um, let's, let's collectively take care of the crags that fuel us and that inspire us um, because it really is our responsibility as as a user group to do that and we can be leaders and create a positive narrative for our future all right how about one more big thanks to paul and hillary for providing us with that awesome insight on what they have going on in their respective locations and what they have uh, planned for the future as far as the role of indoor facilities and the larger conversation around climbing advocacy it's really awesome and one takeaway I took away from Paul's conversation was about the messaging and making assumptions that everyone knows what the access fund is or who the access fund is or how they might be able to get involved and whatnot. Uh, They need to know, you know, folks, they don't know what they don't know. So 
think yeah hitting them with the messaging early and often in a in a gentle manner as we both uh, discuss not in this from this doom and gloom perspective but in a gentle manner softly introducing these topics to folks that are coming in into their doors and showing them what the access fund is how to get involved what some threats might be and what's going to happen about it in the future i think it's going to be largely important and just like Hillary said, I mean, this is this was baffling to me or really surprising to me that 95% of indoor climbers, or they pulled the, you know, the Climbing Wall Association had this survey and they, the results showed 95% of climbers have climbed outside or have interest in climbing outside. Like, big number, big, big numbers here. So um, I think we can really end on the note about what Hillary said about not pointing fingers it's not Honold's fault. <laughs> it's not the gym's fault. It's not the manufacturer. You know, we're all in this together. Let's all be a part of the same team here and make this a collective effort to keep our crags open, conserved, cared for, and, and everything. So big kudos to you guys. And we'll be back in uh, next month with, uh, with another guest for the Climbing Advocate Podcast. So until then, uh, enjoy your uh, spring season here. It's definitely feeling like spring is in the air. So, yeah, get, get, uh, get the spring season started on the right foot, and I will see you all here next month. Thanks so much.